Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. So, uh, Regina, for those listening, tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay. Um, well, again, my name is Regina Newby. Um, 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 my um, late husband um, passed away in February of 2019. Um, we have um, two boys. Um, they are 19 and 21 now, so they're adults. And um, I've mm-hmm. been a hairstylist um, for about 28 years now. Actually, June will make it 28 years. So um, I own as long as I've been alive. <laughs> So um, I own my own salon. Um, I've been a salon owner for about 13 years now. Um, So pretty much, I mean, my career is just, you know, everything, you know, beauty industry. That's what I'm around all the time. So that's what I know. Um, So that kind of gives us a little bit of an idea of who you are and how we're going to kind of go in, I'm just going to ask you some questions uh, around the topic of grief and we'll kind of just roll with it that way. Is that okay? okay? Yes, that's fine. So um, obviously the topic of today's episode is grief um, and it helps to start with a working definition of what the term grief means. So in your, from your perspective, how would you define grief in your own words? Um, if I had to describe grief, it, you know, it, it, for me, it varies from person to person. Um, my definition of grief might not necessarily be what it is for the next person. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's definitely um, nothing to really prepare yourself for, even though you know, you might know that a person's life is coming to an end, but until it actually happens, is nothing really to prepare yourself for. Even if you say, okay, I know this is how it is, nothing can compare, you know, um, compare you for the journey, prepare you for the journey, excuse me. So it's something that's inevitable, but it's not something that you can really prepare for. No, not in my opinion. And so um, just a little while ago, um, at the time of this recording, a week ago, um, you released a new book. Um, Is this your second book? Yes, this is actually my second book. Um, My first book that I put out um, was a marriage ebook, and this one is my second book. Um, In the first couple of chapters, um, my husband um, had wrote uh, before he passed away, and I decided to finish the book. So, by the way, for those listening, I have read the marriage ebook, and it was really good because it was a quick read. Um, but it's got a lot of practical steps on things that you can apply in your relationship. So I'll be sure to put the link to that book in the show notes as well. Um, so the title of this new book is called The Face I Made When the Doctor Said I Had Cancer Again. Yeah. And so 
this was started by your husband, Jonathan. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the background of how this book, um, be, you know, ended up getting completed. Um, well, my husband and I, you know, we were, uh, you know, not just husband and wife, but we had been together for um, 22 years um, at the time he passed and like almost 25 years together. So we had a great um, friendship. So we could just pretty much talk about anything um between the two of us so you know i think in just general conversation one day i was just i was kind of laughing about it like joking but serious i was like you know what we need to write a book i was like because it was just so many things that happened over the seven years that you know most people like if you just talked about it they probably would be like okay that couldn't possibly have happened or I know all that mm -hmm. didn't happen to you guys so I was just joking with him and I was like yeah you know we really should write a book like everybody else writes a book about you know stuff so we need to write a book so mm -hmm. I didn't know that he was actually like paying attention to me so because he didn't mention that he was writing um, before he passed, but um, I'm sure on his you know visits to the hospital and clinic that in those um, down times that he found time to write. So he actually wrote a couple of chapters and, you know, had the title of the book um, in his phone. So that's how I found mm -hmm. it after he passed. He had saved it in his phone. And, you know, I decided, I said, well, you know, if you if you started it, then I'm going to finish. And so it wasn't a book that y'all had, like, started working on together it was just something that he had it was an idea that y'all came up with together and you discovered it later on and completed it exactly um and i've also um i'll be sure to put a link to this book in the the show notes as well i um read this book in one sitting it um i <clears throat> i think i can count on one hand how many books have like actually made me cry <laughs> Um, and this was one of them. So um, it, it was definitely, um, I felt like as the reader, I was kind of along for that emotional ride. Um, so my next question, um, obviously, when we think of grief, pretty much everybody's heard of the five stages of grief. Mm -hmm. So there's denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's gone through through um any sort of grief knows that these don't happen in an exact order and Correct. they can change based on the circumstances of any given day Correct. so can you share a little bit about how you have and continue to navigate through these stages of grief um well i guess you know just the initial stage you know when my husband passed i mean i think um anyone that has you know, been through it before. It's just it kind of, you're just on, it's like an outer body experience as far as like the planning of the, the funeral and all of that. Um, I mean, I was there, but I guess the reality hadn't set in. So, you know, I did pretty good with that. And then of course, I, I don't think my, well, I know my husband, being physically gone didn't hit me until about two months after the funeral. Wow. And it was, 
a very just overwhelming um, emotion because I remember it clearly. Um, we were staying in temporary housing um, because a tree had felt um, had fell on our home. So that's another long story for the next book. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, and we lived on the third level. So I don't know. I just started getting this feeling like it was like I knew he wasn't there because my husband had a seven year battle with large B cell lymphoma. So, I mean, him going back and forth to the hospital, it was just like so common, like for him to go to clinic, then sometimes it'd be like, oh, well, they're going to keep me because of this. And I think it, my mind and my body was still in that mode that, Kind of like autopilot. Autopilot, because it was like my mind just told me like, oh, he's still, you know, at the hospital. And I remember mm -hmm. going up the stairs, and when I got to the second set of stairs, I like completely broke down in tears. And that's when it hit me that the feeling of him being in the hospital was no longer there. And reality hit me that I was like, this is, this is real. Um, mm -hmm. so, you know, yeah, like you said, it's no particular order that the stages of grief can happen, but that was definitely my moment, um, two months after that I knew my, my body and my mind had clicked that he was actually gone. Um, that accept stage. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the painful part because I knew mm -hmm. when that happened that it truly nothing was going to be the same. Yeah. And I think, um, from, you know, from being a therapist and working with people going through the grief process, it's kind of like you go through those stages multiple times. Yes. And then when you hit that acceptance part, it hurts every time. Yes. But over time, that pain lessens a little bit. It doesn't go away. Can you talk a little bit about how that kind of evolves over time? Yeah, um, I can say, you know, some days are better than others. Like, you know, I think about him every day, but, you know, I get through the day. And then sometimes just out of the blue, it'll just be an overwhelming um, presence that comes over me that, you know, I might, be like in a crying episode so it mm -hmm. does it just fluctuates it, it is like you know some people hear like it comes like waves and that is true mm -hmm. and you don't really know you might you have the little waves i mean because reality is that you know when i wake up in the morning he's not there um mm -hmm. when i come home he's not there so that's like the small wave but when the big waves come they're just like overwhelming that you actually feel just like you're just crippled in emotion. Yeah. Does, do you still have those like really uh, crippling days as well? Or is those few, fewer and farther between? No, I still, I still have those days. Um, you know, my body kind of knows certain times of the year. Um, you know, it's been um, two years um, as of February 15th. So 
I think. Oh, the anniversary just passed. Yeah, again. it just passed. So the week before, I just could not sleep. Um, and when I say sleep, like I've literally been up since like six in the morning and at three o'clock in the morning, I'm wide awake like with no intentions on mm -hmm. sleeping and that's just you know just anxiety i guess everything running through my head um but yeah they still they still come it's just those moments where you you can't sleep or you know you just you go to work but you put on um your other face and i always you know i kind of refer to it as you have these different versions of yourself. Like for me, mm -hmm. I have the work Regina and mm -hmm. I know I have a job to do. So I put that mask on and I do what mm -hmm. I have to do to service my clients. And then I also have the parent Regina, which has to be strong. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, keep that, um, strong and happy face like you got everything together for our two boys and then there's the Regina that's when she's alone that's when she's in her true feelings mm -hmm. the grieving wife yes. who's lost her best yes. friend and um, this wasn't on the list of questions that I had sent to you but it just came to mm -hmm. mind you had mentioned how like there are the the waves and the the reminders and stuff like that. Um, and you and I talked about this um, a couple of times, but your sons strongly resemble your husband. Mm -hmm. Share a little bit of, about how, what that's like to kind of have the likeness of your husband around. I'm sure that's like bittersweet. Uh, yeah, it is bittersweet. And I think, um, well, one, I guess we say, somewhat good thing about COVID, um, our oldest son, um, you know, he um, is a junior at William & Mary College. So when he came for mm -hmm. spring break last March, he never got a chance to go back. So he's mm -hmm. been home since last March, which is almost a year. So it's been a little bit more of a comfort because before it was just me and my youngest. And I would feel bad because I knew that I had to go to work, but then he would be left in the house by himself. And he wasn't used to that because, you know, during my husband's sickness, of course, he would be there at some time in the evening, you know, once he got from clinic. They had each other. They had each other. So it was a lot of guilt with that. I was like, I got to work, but he's at home by himself. So with my, um, my oldest being here, it has been a little bit of a comfort and I've actually, mm -hmm. you know, been thinking about lately cause I'm pretty sure he's going to go back in August that it will be another flood of emotions when he goes back yeah. to campus. I think I'm going to have a whole nother set of emotions. And something that I thought about as you were sharing that, um, your oldest had just gone away um, to school, like the fall before your husband passed, right? Yes. Um, right before my husband um, had the um, CAR T treatment, I actually had to move him in that same, the same week that he had it, 
I had to move him to college. So um, that was very, very difficult because that's really not how I, you know, how any of us planned anything, but I had to be the one. I was Mm -hmm. like, he's got to start school, so I got to move him in, you know, while my husband's in the hospital. And I don't know at any moment something could come up and they could call and tell me he's in ICU. So that Mm -hmm. was a, a very stressful. And through reading the book, I remember, um, there was, you know, a lot of, I guess, risks involved with that procedure, but throughout the whole moving your son to college and everything, nothing critical went wrong that made you have to rush back. So yes. Yes. Thank God. Um, nothing serious, you know, that they couldn't handle in his room. So he never had to go to intensive care after, um, having CAR T done. Can you describe briefly what CAR T is? I know you describe it in the book, but for those listening, yeah, like a cliff note <laughs> version of what that yeah. is. Um, CAR T actually, we had a choice of, um, of two, uh, two options. Um, my husband had already, the first time he got diagnosed with cancer, he had, you know, regular chemo for six months. Um, about that two-year mark, um, it came back again. So we decided to do um, a bone marrow transplant in which he had an antagonist, which they used his own um, um, stem cells. Then the only other option that was available was um, from a donor bone marrow or the CAR-T. Um, we chose to go with CAR-T because the death rate was less and it was... Um, a lot less riskier uh, because with the bone marrow from a donor, of course, you might have um, grafters, I think it's called grafters host um, syndrome Mm -hmm. in which, you know, your body just starts rejecting. So being the age of my husband, we just decided that CAR T would be better. So basically what they do, they remove, um, your stem cells, they send it off to um, California for three weeks. And basically, they are genetically modified. So they are modified to um, recognize the cancer cells and basically just attach themselves to the cancer cells and kill them off. So, mm-hmm. and it, it, like I said, that does happen in California. And then they ship them back. And then you have transplant day and pretty much everything is, you know, um, is the same as far as care with the bone marrow. They stay in the hospital three to four weeks and then they're monitored, um, you know, and then they go home, but you still got to visit clinic every day. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds really high tech. It is. You know, and... I used to joke with them and I was like, uh, you're kind of like the bionic man. <laughs> You've been genetic. Mm-hmm. And y'all are like a superhero family. So I'm sure that, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. resonated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, he was the first one in Richmond to get that, yes, right? Yes, he was the very first one at MCV. So it definitely was a big deal. Um, you probably would have thought he was a superstar that day because on transplant day, like, the whole team is there. So there's, like, a room full of, you know, all of, all of his doctors that were on the team, the nurses that were assigned to him, um, 
their very own TV crew um, recording the process. So, yeah, it's a very big deal. Um, and they were excited for him to be the first as well um, as we were. So. so one of the, as I'm thinking of the book, I, as I said, is somebody reading it, you and your husband did a really good job at like being concise, but also like explaining kind of the different angles of what was mm-hmm. going on. Cause like we got the perspective of him, we got the perspective of you um, kind of before, during and mm-hmm. after everything. And I know as I was reading the, the part of the book that was the most moving for me was when you said, um, and I quote, you don't know pain until you have to tell your kids that their dad isn't going to get better and that you have to prepare to say goodbye. So that in and of itself is a, it's a, like we think of grief as somebody's gone or we've lost something and now we're dealing with it. But your particular circumstance, this was a seven year battle. Um, And so when you get to that point where, you know, you're having to tell your kids that, um, obviously you had to wear multiple hats, you know, being a parent of grieving children while also, you know, grieving the loss of your yeah. best friend. What are some things that you kind of learned through those different, cause it's a couple of different types of grief as a, as a parent seeing their child, you know, lose a parent as a wife losing a husband and also like grieving him before he had passed on. It was complex yeah. grief. Um, I really had to recognize that, like I said before, it was just having those different versions of Regina because the mom version is, you know, being strong, making sure that you are the one to comfort them and try your best to take away their pain um and then you also have the the wife part in which that kind of takes a back burner when you have children that it takes longer Mm -hmm. for you to get to that person that is grieving um so yeah that was a very difficult um thing and i often think about it like all the time like you know, there's guilt still on my part because I'm like, even though I had seen him that day, I'm like, well, I didn't expect for it to happen like the next day. Um, the plans mm-hmm. were that we knew things were going to de- um, decline and, you know, they really didn't have a specific time frame. They were like, it could be another week or two. So I was just like, okay, well, in my mind, I was getting prepared. Um, so I really, yeah. when that day came, it was like, oh gosh, it's like today. So I think back like, well, maybe I should have just, you know, waited at the hospital all day, but I know truly that I couldn't because I just had to just get out. I had, I called my best friend and I said, you know, I told her what happened. And we met at my salon. I couldn't even go home yet because I didn't know. I didn't know how to face my son. Like, what do I say? <laughs> like, um, we had met with the doctor earlier um, 
that week. It was like that Monday um, because my husband was having really bad um, pains in his side. So they did that Sunday. So they did a, um, a scan and that's when they found out that, you know, the, um, the pain was coming from fluid um, near his spleen and liver. So that was causing all the short pain. So, you know, they talked to the doctors and, you know, they kind of explained, you know, it's kind of nothing else we can do. You know, we've done, you know, they were actually, you know, thorough. We've done this, we've done this, this has failed. And we're kind of like at the end of the rope because his platelets were so low and, it just wasn't even to get like a blood transfusion. Like he was getting platelets like every day and it just was not yeah. helping. It was almost like the lymphoma was just, as soon as they put him in the lymphoma was just like eating them up. So, it, yeah. So, you know, and still then I, you know, kept my faith. I told the doctor, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to, you know, continue to pray and, you know, just see what God's will is. And then, when we met them, um, my mother-in-law and I um, met with the doctor. You know, he was like, nothing's, you know, getting better. And, you know, he's declining. So that's when I, like, knew for sure, like, oh, this is, like, happening. Mm -hmm. And that was, the, you said that was the night that you, like, just took a break and like met your friend at your yeah, salon. Yeah, that was the night. It was actually the night before. Um, well, actually, it was Valentine's Day, so it was Valentine's Day night. Yeah, because wow. I had been there earlier in the day, and that's when um, wow. you know I had I was getting ready to leave because um, I sat with him for a while and he was just sleepy, kind of out of it, and I had um, you know told him I said, well, you know, I'll be back in the morning to. Just not in the morning. I said, I'll see you in the afternoon. I'll be back. And he said, in the morning. So I said, you know, just a quick thought to myself. I was like, okay, is he like kind of loopy because of the medication? And so I lifted his mm -hmm. um his oxygen and I leaned over and I was like, well, what did you say? I said, did you say you wanted to see me in the morning? And he he said, yeah, in the morning. And so, really, I was just, I really didn't think about it at the time. In that moment, I was just, like, joking with him because that's what we did. I said, oh, I said, you want to see your beautiful wife in the morning? And he specifically, he said, yeah, come in the morning. And sure enough, that's when I got the phone call the next day that he hadn't had a good night and they thought time was approaching. So, I mm. now that I think back, I, that was his way of telling me with kind of the last strength that he had that he wanted me there in the morning because um, if I had came later, I probably wouldn't have been there when he left. Beautiful kind of how all that worked out in that time. Yeah, you know, you always hear sometimes people say, you know, um, you've heard about people like, you know, going to visit somebody in the hospital and they say, well, 
Um, I think they were just holding on for such and such to get here. So I think that was his way of, because like I said, he had really been like out of it and confused because of all the medications and Mm -hmm. everything that was fighting against him. So for him to say, because he hadn't really said that much while I was there, for him to tell me that when I left, I mean, that I think that was his his way of saying no. I want you with me when it happens. And I'm glad that you took that, like, because somebody, you know, like you said, you were kind of like trying to get a little bit of a a breather before going home. Mm-hmm. If if you hadn't paid close attention, you could have yeah, missed that. exactly, yeah. Because I, you know, it's just when you get news like that, it's just like you're just your mind is somewhere else and I had been sitting with him and like I said he wasn't really talking or anything and you know I said well I'm gonna you know I'm just gonna let him rest and that's when you know leaned over and that's when he told me you know come in the morning so that's what I did I mean I'm blessed um because a lot of people don't get that opportunity and a lot of people would like to be there Mm -hmm. with their loved ones for their last last breath but um i'm definitely you know thankful to god that he allowed me to be there and and he knew i was there he wasn't talking when i got there that morning but when as soon as i came in and i was like hey babe he grunted so he was aware mm-hmm. of you know who was there he just couldn't speak as i was reading the book one of the biggest parts that shine through about Jonathan is that he was an incredibly funny person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So kind of to, you know, this is, you know, two years from when all of this went down, kind of to, you know, celebrate your husband. I was thinking it would be a good idea to share like one of your funniest memories um that you have of jonathan with the listeners um, well i talk about an event um in the book in which um i was invited to um be a stylist at um um this um show in new york um so for whatever reason it just we could not get the um the rental car um together I, I can't remember if they didn't have the vehicle that I needed that day or what was the deal but it was just like a complete mess and I'm like oh my gosh like what am I gonna do and the only other rental place that I could think of that had what I wanted was I mean it was like way across town and I'm like oh my gosh like what am I gonna do so my husband says well, we'll just take the white car. Now, the white car I talk about in the book was a 2001 Mercury Sable. It had no air. <laughs> um, so I was like, uh, you... and, and it was in the middle, middle, of, middle summer. of summer. This is like July. And I was like, first, my mm. first thought was like, okay, do you think that we'll make it? Because this is my husband's work car. Um, for those of you that get the book, you'll find out, you know, why we were down to this, this particular work car, but he was like, yeah, he's like, I, I just got an oil change in it and all we got to do is gas it up and go. And I'm like, okay. I mean, cause I knew it was like, I need to be in New York 
And if this is the only thing we got, then I guess we don't have a choice. So that's what we did. We took a road trip to New York in that um, Mercury Sable with no air conditioner at all. And it was the best road trip, like, ever. <laughs> we didn't even care about cause, mm-hmm. about the not having air because the weather was good, Um that weekend we went, so it was nice and sunny. So as long as the car was moving on the interstate, which was what we were taking, we were good. <laughs> and you know that's love when you can do, because that's a long yeah. sort of drive anyway from Richmond to New York. And in the middle of July, yep. it's hot, hot. Um, if you're <laughs> sitting still, it's hot. And then... You know it's love if you can do that whole road yeah, trip and have yeah, a blast. Yeah, it was like the best. Like we were laughing and I mean we were joking about all kinds of stuff, like the TV shows we liked, the music we were cutting up, and like it didn't like you would have thought we were in some luxury car the way we were acting, but we were in that mm-hmm. 2001 work you're saying, <laughs> and, and it, it didn't, didn't break down. Break down. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, I had shared this with you before, but um, one of the goals of this podcast that I've started is to kind of explore how mental health impacts communities of color. Because as you and I both know, um, people, uh, minorities, don't tend to access um mental health services as much as the majority does, right? Um, And so I'm wondering, as you kind of navigate, and I'm sure most people know this, with grief, you don't just, like, go through grief and you're done with it. It's an ongoing life journey. So um, as you, like, navigated through grief, like, um, as your husband was, you know, battling cancer... Um, and then during those last days, and then obviously the two years since he's passed, um, in what ways did, um, I guess your background being a black woman influence your grief process? Cause I know different cultures, different backgrounds, um, kind of deal with stuff differently. Can you share yeah, a little bit I about think, that? Um, you know, being a, a black female going through grief, um, you know, um, I would say most of us grew up, you know, in the Baptist church or, you know, some type of, uh, we had some type of church background. So, you know, it's always about, you know, we'll just, you know, pray about it. God will get you through, you know, one day at a time, you know, people, you know, tell you, you know, well, you know, they're in a better place. So um, I'm definitely thankful that I had that, um, that church, um, background that I, you know, grew up in the church and I knew who to call on if I was in trouble, but I did know, um, because it was such a long battle and I know how my personality is, um, versus someone else. Like I kind of kick into just survival mode. And I don't really have time Mm -hmm. to deal with the emotions at the moment. But I knew that when my husband passed, I said, I need to talk to someone else that's not involved 
in this situation, you know, mm -hmm. family, friends, you know, I appreciate all the love and support, but for what I had to deal with and what I'm still dealing with, I needed someone that didn't know me, didn't know the situation and could just help to guide me through my grief journey. And I think it's very, very important mm -hmm. that especially black men and women that you realize that it's okay to talk to a therapist. It's okay to, you know, um, let that person into what you're really feeling because for me, it was just more comfortable. I remember when I first sat down, I just completely lost it. And it was like, I had had all these emotions mm -hmm. bottled up for so long. And because I felt free that this person wouldn't judge me, that I just felt better just getting it out. Cause you're kind of putting on that strong yeah. front for your kids. And that was like the place where you could just, you know, yeah, be exactly. Regina. And the same with, you know, work, like, okay, I got to go to work and service clients. So I can't be over my clients crying or having, you know, all kind of emotions run through my head. I have to, I have to snap into, okay, this is work, Regina. You smile and you work and keep it going. Mm -hmm. But there it was like my safe place. And I think that's what I have really been, you know, trying to tell others that are going through the same situation, whether it's a husband or someone else, I was like, I strongly advocate for having a therapist and it should be in our community. Um, it should be okay. Cause in other cultures, it's okay. I mean, that's, that's just what you do is normal. But for us, it's not because mm -hmm. I think everybody's like, well, you know, you're supposed to be strong in faith and, you know, if you pray about it, but mm -hmm. you need to have that as well. But sometimes you need that extra, that extra help that's outside of the circle. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good perspective because, um, you know, in counseling, in school for becoming a counselor, they teach you, like, each person has different components. So we have, like, the body, like, the biological mm -hmm. um, part of ourselves. We have the psychological. We have our relationships, so, like, the social. And then for those who are spiritual, they have their spiritual components. So there's, like, four, three to four legs for most people that yeah. they, like, lean on. And obviously, like, you can't lean all on, um, you know, you can't only lean on faith completely. You still have to be good in your body exactly. and your mind and in your relationships and stuff like that. So I think you, you did a good job, like, describing how you had to approach yeah. grief holistically. So I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk thank with you. me today. Um this is my first podcast episode, but I think it's yeah, really smoothly. Thank you. And thank you for being the first guest. I can't wait for um, when this episode goes up, but I'll be sure to include the links to both of your books, the, the um, marriage book, but also the book that we talked about today, The Face I Made When the Doctor Said I Had Cancer okay. Again. Um, 
And those are both available on the same website. So I'll make sure to include those links. But um, as we conclude for today, uh, tell the listeners about uh, where they can reach you or find your work. So I know you have books, services, products, things like that. So this is your chance to just kind of self-promote. I want you to okay. um, get it out there. Um, the listeners can find me um, on Instagram um, and Twitter. Um, my name is Queens World 208 on both of those um, social media outlets. Um, they can also find me um, on Facebook. Um, I'm Regina Bailey Newby. Um, it's my Facebook page. And then my salon page is LaVita Nova Salon. Um, my um, books can be purchased at um, the first ebook um, that's on there is Popcorn Ready Marriage. So that's a, um, a marriage um a marriage ebook, but also good for those that are just wanting to be married or that um if they're um, currently engaged, it's just some really quick pointers um, and advice that I give, and I think they're, they're kind of, they get overlooked. Um, so that's why it, they might seem simple, mm-hmm. but they're the simple things that so many marriages, married people overlook. So that's the first one, and then. A- mm-hmm. I remember yeah, the date the, the night was a big date one. Night. You got to have every single detail um and then the second book of course is the face i made when the doctor had uh, said i had cancer again um that can be found on payhip.com forward slash regina newbie and that is available in um, a printed copy uh which is signed or they can get in an ebook form so either way but if you go to that site it'll be on there and um, about another four to six weeks it will be on amazon and other book outlets as well and i think that this podcast should be out um before i guess it's available on amazon but i'll make sure to go back in and add the additional links um once once that becomes available so um definitely wherever you're listening to this podcast at um look in the show notes and um all the information you need to find these books and resources um will be there you also have a line Um, as well i have my um my nine seven cosmetic line um is dedicated in memory of my husband um it's spelled n-i-n-e and the number seven and that stands for our wedding anniversary which is september the 7th so it has a lot of meaning behind the name so that's how i came up with it but um that's available um in my salon um i have products there um, and I do working on um, having it online as well. But for anyone that needs any products or anything, I have, you know, um, cosmetics. I have bath and body items. So that's available in my salon. So they can just, you know, contact me either by email or on my social media outlets. My email is queen.kirkproducts um, at gmail.com. And I'll make sure to put uh, that contact information in there as well. Uh, So thank you so much for taking the time to um, talk with us today. I think um, these conversations definitely need to happen um, because we don't really have a 
a lot of spaces where we can talk about how these things yes. impact our communities. So yes, I really thank appreciate you. And I, I, you know, time. my hope is that, um, you know, for anyone listening that is dealing with grief that, you know, just us talking about it tonight will, if they have not sought, sought therapy, that it will open their eyes to feeling a little bit more comfortable so that they can begin that journey of, you know, dealing with their grief better. And I think especially you had mentioned this before, but, you know, there's a um, kind of like a ideal. A lot of times black women are taught to be like the stoic, like, you know, yes. strong no matter what yeah. kind of character. And I think your story shows that you can do that to an extent, like you went into autopilot, you know, right around the time that everything was going down and planning the funeral but like it th that runs out after a time like two months later you're walking yeah, upstairs it and it hits you like a ton of bricks like you can't be in that i'm a strong black woman mode all the yeah, time because sometimes you need someone else to pick you up <laughs> there's yeah. times when you give and there's times when you take Thank you so much i know that this is going to be really valuable to um a lot of people who find this podcast so um, thank you thank you so much anchor is everything you need to make a podcast and best of all it's free they offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer anchor also distributes your podcast so it can be heard on spotify apple and google podcasts and many more did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance.